The Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast is proudly sponsored by New Vision. My team, Kanda, power. I love the power. power, power. I love the power. power, power. Hi everyone, Mac and 19 here I and this the is power. the Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast. As always, we are live on Port Fan Radio and are joined by Porsche. G'day Macca, what a grim weekend. I know, I know. <laughs> Oh, disappointing. Uh, it was heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah, for lots of reasons. But yeah, no, the football was pretty bad too. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was not great. We played really well. I thought it was a pretty good game. But um, uh, I don't know. Like I, Everyone's taking something else out of it. It's an interesting game in that regard. I think it's kind of a divisive game for us as Port fans. Um, yeah. But I guess it's always the losses that are divisive, isn't it? Um, Absolutely. No yeah. doubt about that. And uh, look, England drew as well. Heartbreaking oh. draw in the uh, in the Euros. So can, can you have a heartbreaking draw? And they decided to go and uh, riot because of it. So good times. Ah, uh, yeah. Football fans, eh? <laughs> um, I yeah. I think I was I was in Copenhagen when Arsenal played Parma in the nineties, and they absolutely trashed it. And it was a neutral city. Completely yeah. neutral to both to both teams, and they just trash the place. It's terrible, um, right. you know. It, we talk about Australian soccer fans being bad. And they're bloody tame. Like they're probably the tamest fans in in the world, as far as soccer is concerned. And as far as a lot of professional sports go, they're probably among the tamer ones. It's just that by Australian standards, they're a bit. Eh. Yeah. So we're very lucky to be able to go to the sport. You know, in our hometowns, and not have to worry about the very real likelihood of getting smashed in the head for the most part, huh. um, very true, or, or dying, or any of these other things that can happen. Um, That's spot on. You know. Spot on. And I'll tell you what. Before we get started, I watched the live stream of the Vic Country versus uh, Vic Metro game today, and oh. it was an absolute classic. What a oh, game! I to watch it. What a great game! I should have watched that one. Damn it. Yeah, yeah, who won? Vic uh, Metro uh, oh, by two points. They they came from uh, four goals down twice um, right. to win it in the last uh, minute. Um, just a wonderful game of footy, and uh, yeah, can't wait to seek my teeth into some serious draft talk later in the year. Yeah, no, it'll be good. Um, I think that probably the best one. I don't know. I haven't done a proper study on it, but it'd be really interesting to know. I think that Port usually drafts better in years when Vic Country wins, but I'm not sure. Mm. When South Australia wins, it's usually not a good draft year. But when Vic Country wins, it's usually good for us. And when Vic Metro wins, it's quite often a super draft. So yeah, a lot of Vic Country were were favourites going into the chance, but they haven't won yet. I don't think so. Okay, that's interesting. Been a little bit disappointing, but they've got some of the best uh, players or best names at least in the in the draft, like Hugh McCluggage and uh, and Will Brody as well. So mm. a couple of names to look out for, and uh, and we'll get to that uh, in a few weeks' time, I guess. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Very good. Yes, should be yeah. good. Now, on to our sweet and sour. One thing we found sweet, one thing we found sour about Port Adelaide this week. Portia, what was your sweet? Um, the first half, how we blocked for each other. Um, yep. That's that's always my, my biggest treat when I go to see Port Adelaide play is when I see the team laying blocks to support other players in the team. Um, and I don't just mean in the forward line, like we saw, the, I guess, against um, 
Melbourne and against Collingwood, sorry, but around the ground and in midfield particularly when we're trying to get a good clearance, it's really important that players, when they give up the ball, they don't just stop running. And I think the first half we're really good at that. I think the last quarter we really tailed off. You could see that we were suddenly kicking too early and everything went wrong, but that was my sweep for the part. For when it was there, I love seeing it and I want to see it every week. Yeah. Laura, I think this was probably our best team performance of the year, in my Mm. opinion. I think we did all those sort of one percenters that you you want us to do, but uh, quite often we don't. Yeah, yeah. Certainly, again, in the first part of the game, for definitely, and there were there were a lot of really good play, a lot of really good play from the players. They, they were playing really well as a team. Um, I'm a little bit worried that the nature of that loss may affect that in coming weeks, yeah. um, because it was such a, a close loss, mm. and it was sort of our first really real test in terms of the quality of the opponent that we were going up against. Um, I know we've had a lot of players out, but not all of those players were likely to be in our top side. I mean, Lobby and Carlisle, if anyone's claiming them among their outs that are devastating, they're not. Um, look, Carlisle's a good player, but Lobby was already dropped when he was out. Um, yeah. You know, like there's... A, and we're missing a few, a couple of few really good quality players, but just across the ground, we just seem to lack that little bit of class. Like we talked last week about Paul Stewart, how he was playing really well. Yeah. And he wasn't being exposed, but this time he got a bit exposed, didn't he? He did. No, he certainly wasn't his best performance, but um, I guess we'll get to that a bit later. Yeah. Um, my sweet, I've just got one word to say, and that's Dougs. How yeah. was that? <laughs> Doug or yeah. Howell? Yeah. His third quarter and, uh, and the subsequent Dougs chant that occurred at the end was uh, was just brilliant. And, you know, he's a guy that's shown some glimpses so far at AFL level, but... Um, Maybe choked on a couple of occasions when he should have gold, or you know, maybe the moment got a little bit better of him, things like that. But um, you know, it, it does happen to every player. Um, but Saturday it all clicked um, for those sort of uh, 15 minutes in that third quarter, and you know, he took a big mark on the wing. He got free inside 50 a couple of times and, and took a couple of decent grabs, one on the lead as well. And then on the siren, um, you know, he slots through a massive pressure goal and. You know, he's coming along really well, and, and I feel it's not too far off before we get to see a, a three or four goal performance. Yeah, look, um, I think we're seeing that Dougal Howard is the exact sort of player that not even people that were draft aficionados that aren't even ambitious. He's the sort of player that we're sort of thinking four or five years ago, or six or seven years ago. Yeah, it'd be nice to have a second four. They don't need to be the most amazing key forward in the league like a, a Buddy Franklin, but you just need a really good, competent key forward. And it looks like he could be that kind of player. Um, he could he could explode and surprise us all, but even if he's just is that player that you can rely on to get two goals a game uh, as a second key forward, uh, that would be perfect. We'd be okay with that. Absolutely, you know, as I said, he's coming along really well, and uh, and a couple of those moments should give him a lot of confidence going into next week and, and beyond, and you know, he can prove to himself that um, that he can play at AFL level, and um, and he's got a hell of a lot of talent and a hell of a lot of potential. Yeah, no, he's got a lot of potential. Um, I have to say that um, as far as any criticism you might have of Port Adelaide, and admittedly, partially it's been driven by injuries, but we have to admit that Hinkley and co are giving young players a pretty good run. Um, yeah. You'd have to say, like, as far as young players that haven't had an opportunity this year, they, they really haven't deserved it um, mm. based on their SNFL form and haven't really, I suppose, been physically obvious that they should be playing either. So you've got to give them credit for that. Um, yeah, <laughs> we're not playing Kane Mitchell every week. 
So what about your sour? What was your sour this week? Uh, we're not good enough, Macca. We're not good no, enough. No, we did say it was going to be the litmus test this week and uh, yeah. unfortunately we failed. Yeah, like I'm not I'm not saying we need to do a full rebuild or anything like that. Like some people, because it's melts time, some people are saying, oh, if we bring back a you know, star player, we'll be right. And other people are saying we have to do a complete rebuild from scrap. And I'm not saying either of those, but I think that we really do need to shore up the positions in which we have an obvious deficiency because it only takes one injury for it to be horribly exposed and we're yeah. seeing that. Um, you know, the problem in defence will partially solve itself but we're probably going to lose Bobby Carlisle this year um, and we'll get Trengo back as a backman and that's great and uh, then we've got Jack Homsch who will be a second or third and that's okay but then we still need to make sure we've got players coming through behind them. Up forward, we need someone more than Charlie Dixon, and Howard was okay in his part, and he'll develop in that, but that's going to take four years for him to be that sort of consistent key forward that we really need. Um, there's just a lot of there's a lot of development to be done from the young guys that are there, because Logan Austin, he'll be great in four years' time. Um, it's going to take a bit of work getting there. Uh, and by then, we'll have to have got a new Ruckman in as well, because Paddy Ryder will be gone. Um, yeah. You know, like we're in a really awkward spot in terms of our list in that we've got some players that are going to be really good for the next four years. But this, I suppose this game is really kind of decided, in my view, whether we are going to win a premiership in those four years or not. I don't think we are. I think it's going to take four years to get to that top four position <clears throat> in a serious way, like a serious contender way, not like a we managed to get a few wins with terrible percentage and we got bundled yeah. out in the prelim. You know, and you look um, at some of the other teams around us who are developing, like GWS and the Dogs, and yeah, uh, yeah. and you, you just got to say in terms of our youth coming through, we're miles behind those sorts of teams at the moment. So, um, you know, if, if we want to win a premiership, then uh, then time's running out with this group. Yeah, um, like Stockholm's got a comment on the forum here, uh, sorry, on the speaker, speaker chat. He's saying that Schultz, Ryder and White are our biggest outs this year. But you know what? White's 29, Ryder's about the same and Schultz is over 30. Uh, again, we're talking about that three or four years' time. It's it's They're gone. They're not there. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, But we know yeah. that we've based our list on winning a premiership in the last few years and we haven't done that yet. So it's all right having older players... Uh, being key players because we're, we're trying to win a flag right yeah, now, not in four but, years' time. Uh, four years' time, if we don't win a flag, it's going to be a hell of a lot different. So, yeah, something to yeah. Uh, look forward to, I guess. I just think we need to, at least from a list management perspective, I think we need to change what we're doing. Um, Dixon's fantastic, Ryder's fantastic, and that plugs up two huge holes in our side, but we've got a lot of work, a lot of work uh, behind the walls to do and make sure it all yeah. works, so... Yeah, that, that's my sour, Macca. It's a long sour, and it's probably one we could talk about for hours, but it, it's my sour. It's a depressing sour. Yeah, it mm. is. It is a mm. very depressing sour. Mm. Well, look, mine this week is uh, coaching, and uh, okay. in particular, the amount of time it took for us to react to uh, to Jake Stringer moving to the wing at the start <laughs> of the last quarter. Yeah. And uh, you could see it happen at the ground, and look, I'll admit, I was very unsure when I saw Cracker man up on Stringer at the start of the day. I thought, oh, this is... This is going to be terrible. <laughs> it's going to be a disaster. But mm-hmm. it really did seem like a strange decision. But it worked a treat. Cracker played, in my opinion, just about his best game at AFL level. I thought he was absolutely fantastic. Stringer had no influence at all for three quarters. Um, 
So Beveridge moved him to the wing at the start of the last. Um, Polek went to him, which would have just been his normal spot to go. And uh, three minutes later, the game was in complete control of the Dogs, thanks to Jake Stringer. You know, to have our most unaccountable player, and I'm not really blaming Polek here, but to have our most unaccountable player go up against him for three minutes, lose him twice for two goals, just should not have happened at all. You know, we, we had to make a change pretty much straight away. And it was never going to end well. And as I said, it's not really Pollock's fault. Um, maybe he should have paid attention a bit more. And, and a couple of teammates did actually point out to him, you know, what the hell are you doing? Um, but this was a big, big stuff up by the coaches. And, and to be quite simple, it cost us the game. Yeah. Uh, yes, I agree with that from a coaching perspective. I don't know whether it's something... <sighs> yeah. Look, we need to know also what perspective the coaches are coming from as well, you know, Um, because you're saying, I agree with you, Polek is our most unaccountable player in the side right now. Before that, it would have been Amon at times, although he is probably on a par with um, Polek, I suppose, in his most recent games. Um, And maybe that was part of it. Maybe it's like, hey, you've still got to be a defensive player. You can't just sort of be loping around the, the corridor and then do a little bit of a burst and then not run back the other way really hard. Um, maybe that's part of it. Um, and so therefore giving in that matchup or leaving in that matchup, they're saying, well, hey, that's your job. That's what you got to do. Do it. But yeah. would you take that risk with the game online? But didn't we think we had the game kind of under control for most of the... I mean, we had the game literally under control. We were holding back a, a, a bear with a stick, admittedly, but we were doing it. Maybe that's a risky take. I'm not. I don't think we had the game under our control. I think. Um, well, like I, I think said, it was pretty well fifty-fifty. Yeah, bear with um, a stick. Like, if, as soon as you screw up, you're dead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think there's a time and a place to teach players a lesson, and uh, in a cutthroat game, at, at that sort of time when you don't have much of a lead at all, then uh, yeah, that's not really the time and place. I don't think. I guess I'm not phrasing it so much as him being taught a lesson. I think that's what he's learned from it. I think it's as much as we expect every player to be able to do this, so Pollock, you better do it. We're yeah. expecting you to do it. I think it's not an unreasonable expectation, regardless of whether it's learning a lesson or not. It's just that's every player, uh, every player. I mean, Jake Need, no one's going to beat Jake Need on defensive running, but every player yeah. should be pretty damn close, you know? I think Pollock just had his instructions. He wouldn't have known he was lining up on Stringer at the start of the last quarter, and he just had his instructions to do what he's got to do. And um, it could be in the end, it, it just took too long for the message to come out to uh, to make that change um, and, and be a little bit more defensive or, or change the matchup completely. And once again, once the uh, once the matchup was changed, Stringer didn't have a, another kick just about. So I don't know. Games can swing on momentum, and and it doesn't mm. take long. And as we saw, just three minutes is all it took. Yeah, yeah, it didn't take long at all, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. That, I mean, look, it could be a coaching thing, but it could be a player thing, and I guess we don't know because we're not part of it. But Yeah. Mm. Yes, right. The uh, what-the-hell moment. What was yours for this week? Uh, I don't really have one, Macca. <laughs> Sorry, I know, I know I should have one, but I don't have one. Um, My what the hell moment is you not having a what the hell moment. What's going on? <laughs> Look, it was all kind of really sadly predictable, you know. Like the first half was really great. It was really wonderful in that third quarter. Like we were competitive the whole time through. Um, mm. And we even style a game. Like we, I sort of had an inkling that it was going to be like a bit of a shootout and a bit physical because of where we had weaknesses and strengths in comparison to each other. 
Um, I didn't have a what the hell moment because we just weren't able to hold them off. That's it. I don't have what the hell. I don't have a what the hell moment about the um the game at all. Sorry, Mac. Okay, that's all right. Mine is uh, the Crows keeping West Coast to their first ever scoreless quarter at Subiaco. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's after a good one. Uh, after leading all day, the uh, the Eagles just stopped dead, and that's mm. uh, that's very much a what the hell moment, I think. Yeah, yeah. You got to wonder where the where the Eagles are at now. Um... They're, they're not playing good footy. Um, they've got nothing coming through in the reserves. They're, they're probably the, the one team which is um, probably on the borderline of, of falling out of the eight. If uh, if we can get our act together, or if someone else can, then um, you know they could very easily find themselves outside the eight. Yeah, it's look. West Coast are one of those sides that you either expect them to be near the top four or right at the bottom four. Um, and so lining up for what looks like a, a, a aggressively mid-table season. It makes them very hard to predict. Yeah. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Okay. Well, look, we, we've got a few uh, questions from the forum again. Okay. Um, yep. Portmanteau has asked the question, who's on the trade bait to list retire list at this stage? Ah, God. We went through this a few weeks ago and I don't think it's really changed. Um, yeah. Yeah, because, you know, Aaron Young's fine. He's got his contract. He's okay. Guys like Paul Sturdy still in line for the listing. Carlisle still in line for the listing or retirement, however you want to call it. Um, guys like Kane Mitchell are probably in their way out. Sam Cahoon's probably in the way out. As far as trade, there's a huge chunk of the side that's up for trade, realistically, if we can get a decent offer. Um, we have areas where we have a huge number of players and we have areas where we have big weaknesses. So you'd have to think, like, really, we should be trying to get one of our halfbacks off to somewhere else, particularly with the uh, form of the inclusion of Darcy Byrne-Jones this year added to the mix from last year of carpet flankers that we had in excess of and with Riley Bonner coming through we're really in a position now where we have to trade unless we unless we are revolutionising the game of football and that's we're really confident in doing that we really need to let one or two of those go to other clubs um, through yeah. trade so I think that's the really obvious thing I'm not going to name any names because it's going to come down to which player clubs are keenest on I'd say the only one that is not for, well, any two that aren't for trade would be Pittard and Dern Jones, but I'd say any of the others you'd probably be able to accept an offer for. Um, wow, okay. Yeah, well, do you, do you disagree? Oh, I don't think we'd be trading Wingard any any time. Oh, no, so. no, I'm talking about halfback flankers still, Macca. Sorry. Oh, halfback flankers, sorry. <laughs> Thinking, Jesus. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm still in defence. I'm still in defence. No, that's fair enough. I've got a few names here. I think Schultz is going to retire. I think that's pretty obvious. Yep. Um, in terms of delisting, I think Kane Mitchell off the rookie list is gone. Mm-hmm. That's pretty clear. Uh, I think Cam Hewitt might be in trouble. Um, then I've got a bunch of names here. I've got Tom Cleary, uh, Brendan Archie, Gus Monfries, John Butcher, Paul Stewart, and Sam Cahoon. Yep, I'd agree with all of those. Um, Cleary okay. might, might be harsh, but we're just not playing him. Um, Monfries, I've changed my mind on that one with the form of Aaron Young. I think um, we won't be offering him another contract at this stage. Mm-hmm. Um, and the others are pretty obvious, I think, as well. Yeah, and honestly, we could go deeper, but I say that pretty much every year, and then we just wait an extra year to get rid of the guys I said we should get rid of. But yeah. we could go deeper than that quite easily. Um, I think that the idea of us trading out our first-round draft pick this year, and they're saying, yes, we can do it because of the this, you know, you can only trade two first-round picks two years out of four, whatever it is. It's not retroactive, so we can do it again this year. But I think that would just be 
completely the wrong way to go with this list that we've got right now. Um, which is sad, but that's that's the truth. We need to have another crack at filling up those lower positions and then develop them and bring them through. And this yeah. will make a couple of trades of players out this year and maybe we'll the year after. But then the year after that, we might go big on free agency again. Um, you know, it's that's what it is. The next two years, I think we need to be an importing draftee side and a trading out player side for our list yeah. health. Um, and then again, you know, the what, 20, 2019 or 2018 off-season, maybe we can start looking at the big trades again. Yeah. Well, that's seven players off the senior list that I've listed there. So... I think that's probably a fair amount of people to come off the list this year, and we do need to turn it over and get some young uh, young talent back into the side, I think. So yep. it'll be interesting to see how we go there, because the last probably three or four years, we haven't really made a, a hell of a lot of changes. Um, but I think it's probably time that, um, that we do uh, uh, swing the axe a little bit, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And look, um, as much as everyone's saying, oh, Ken might get the sack, he's still got two years left on his contract. So if he's ever going to do it, he's got to do it now because otherwise we're just going to play the the short-term thinking game for the rest of his contract and then we'll be completely screwed at the end of it. So, yeah, yeah, he's got to to think long now. Yeah. Well, that's a perfect segue because Dylan Aid has asked the question of, uh, or he wants us to discuss the possibility of a Hinkley exit if we fail to make the finals again. Uh, I don't think it's at all likely. I think that uh, at board level we value stability too highly, and if the crowds keep coming, like that's the one that always gets coaches fired, is when the crowds stop coming. Um, yep. So that'll be the big dictator. If we have a really wet winter and spring, then maybe that might have an impact on it as well. Ironically, mm-hmm. um, but that's the big one, and if they don't want to change. Like not when they're in the middle of this big deal with China. Like KT won't want to make a change. Koshi won't want to make a change. They'll be wanting to keep the controversy down as low as possible. They'll just yeah. say it's a bad year. I mean, it's the same situation as Collingwood with Nathan Buckley. You know, they don't want to get rid of Nathan Buckley even now, but fans aren't going to games, so what do you do? Mm. No, it's fair. It's fair. I, I, I can't see him going at the end of this year unless we uh, just completely sort of collapse and finish, you know, third bottom or something like that. Then might be a might be a possibility, but um, I would think he's still got another 12 months um, before... Oh, yeah. Any talk of Hinkley being sacked is uh, is on the cards, I think. Comfortably, yeah. Uh, Harold Oliver has asked the question, um, how quickly can we turn this around? Outside of best-case scenarios in terms of few injuries and favourable draws, uh, etc., can we be a realistic premiership force next year? Uh, I don't think so. Um, no, I don't think so. Really? <laughs> it's not... I think we can. I think we can. Mm. I think it's, it's definitely going to be our last chance. Uh, with Ryder back, um, maybe with someone like Matty White back as well, um, if we can sort of trade in another really good player, if we go mm. down that path, um, we need to improve the midfield a little bit um, with some uh, further development into guys like Howard and Austin and, and DBJ and these sorts of players. Um, it's It's possible. It's not probable, but it's definitely possible. Uh, only if we go down that path, and I really, 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 really times 200 times, really hope we don't. Mm. I really hope we don't. Um, I'd, I'd, love, I'd love for us to get a premiership, but we have to, like a premiership, like, you know, you spend all your time in the bottom eight, and then it's premiership time. That's not how it works. It wasn't how it worked when we won the 2004 one. How many years of pain in the top four did we go through to get to that? 
Um, yeah. You know, uh, and even then there was a year of a finals before any of that, like in 2001, and there was a year of finals in, what was it, 99 as well. Um, we, we've got to build up a really confident side. Like you look at the dogs this week, and that was just, that, that hugely showed us the gap we have. Not because our players were all that much worse, but they were nowhere near as settled as the dog. Like, the dogs don't travel well, and they don't travel play well outside of Etihad, but I'll tell you what, as much as we say that being under a closed roof improves their disposal, that was still cleaner than us all day, um, you know, as far as the, the possessions that counted. So, yeah, mm. I, I don't know. I, yeah. <laughs> We've got a, we need to sustain success... At a, at a shitty level, a non-premiership level, before we can realistically start talking premierships. We're not the Crows. Um, when you go through the Port Adelaide history, we talk about our 30, what, 36 premierships, and we've finished second as many times, and we've yep. finished third almost as many times again. Um, it, six, premiership success is built on, on getting close, not from coming out of nowhere. That's why the Crows haven't repeated, and that's why we're not going to do it that way. Yep. Ryan Pillar has asked, um, so where are we to go now, in your opinion, Porsche? Is this rebuild time? Uh, yes, but not a non-competitive rebuild. It's not tanking time. It's yep. just it's just replenishing time. I suppose it's a better way to put it. You know, like Sydney does every few years. Um, uh, where you bring in a few good players in positions where you are weak. Um, maybe it's through drafting. And maybe you do trade for with later picks for guys at other clubs, like a Tumpus-type pick, but preferably in a position that you've got a little bit more need for. Um, maybe bring in a, a VFL guy that's been playing really well consistently, because uh, there's always a couple of those that work out every year. Mm. Um, but it's not a tank time. It's not ta- It's not Carlton trade your entire forward line time. It's um. It, it's just, you know, don't don't keep trading the future for today. That's, that's yep. really all it is. It's refresh time. Yeah. Yep, replenish. Like 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 drinking Gatorade, which is one of our sponsors, isn't it? <laughs> That's it. Well done. Right, well, let's get into onto the review. It was round 12. It was a, a lovely day at Adelaide Oval, but unfortunately what we saw was a, a bit of a heartbreaking loss. Uh, 14 goals 13 to 15 goals 10. Uh, a three-point margin there. Uh, the match seesawed a few times before the dogs pulled away at the start of the last quarter. And, uh, and despite never giving in, uh, we fell just short once again. Um, Port had four multiple goal kickers with uh, Need, Young, Wingard and Dixon all slotting two goals. Um, what were your thoughts, Portia? Look, it was a really fantastic team game for the first part. And honestly, if you're going to... It was better... We played a better game this week than we did against Carlton um, in terms of our general accountability and just the courage of our play. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think we were miles and miles and miles ahead, like miles and miles ahead from that we have progressed every week since then west coast was a little bit better and then against melbourne and collingwood we're actually pretty solid for our team play but as can happen particularly when you're playing this kind of defense you can be exposed by the quality sides because that's why they're the quality side they're used to breaking down team defenses now the teams that can break down team defenses are the ones at the top of the ladder um So that's why it's a ladder. That's why it works. So um, we've improved, I think, every week. I'm a little bit worried because there's one thing that Janus is saying on the forums that's got me a little bit concerned. I don't know if he's taken the same conclusion from it that I have. Uh, he's saying that a lot of the t- sides that are playing a team defence, they might start lagging off. And then he's also saying in the next 
breath that we're doing that. So I'm just kind of wondering if we're going to, we've had this run of really a pretty consistent form that's been a gradual improvement. I'm just wondering if we're going to tail off and if it'll wait until after the buy for that to happen. I'm, mm. a, I'm a little worried now. Janus has got inside my head, so I uh, <laughs> don't know. <laughs> no, that's fair enough. I, I thought it was a great game. It, it was one of the games of the year from a, if you were watching it, as a neutral, you would have absolutely loved that game because it was just all-out attack, um, mm. both teams going in really hard, really close all day and you know, not much in it in the end at all. And you know, As I said earlier, I thought that was just about our best team game of the year. I thought we... Um, I, th- I think the main thing that I really loved about it was our uh, intensity, our tackling pressure. It was, yeah. was absolutely fantastic all day, just about as good as I've ever seen it really. Yep. Um, our defensive pressure was first class. Um, it was really great to see us pressure the dogs into so many errors, and you know they, they've made more errors than um, than they had all year, really, um, yeah, in that absolutely. game. And we were just in their face all day, you know, forcing them into defensive disposals and defensive handballs and you know miss kicks and all that sort of stuff. And I don't think I've ever seen us tackle with such intent for a long time. So for me, that was uh, that was the one huge positive out of the game. Yeah, look, I mean, that was a really important part of the game. And I guess the other thing, like, if you wanted to have two games that had a not hugely dissimilar result, but they were games where quality was so far apart. I mean, you compare this game to the Richmond and Brisbane, uh, Richmond and Gold Coast game, um, that was an appalling match. Yeah. Uh, and, but, you know, the lead seesawed a little bit. But this one was a really good, well-fought contest. I it was, it was still think it was a long way short of the Port Adelaide versus Brisbane 2002 game, but... Um, yeah, it was right up there, I have to say. And as a neutral, you'd have to think it was pretty special. So Yeah, absolutely. Mm. I think in the end, uh, the one thing that did us in was the lack of consistency through the midfield. We just couldn't get any momentum going at all. And I thought, um, as a group, uh, it was a pretty dirty day for the midfield. Um, guys like yeah. Wines and Gray, um, despite having big numbers, I didn't think they played at all well, to be honest. And yeah, How many times did we goal... Um, only to watch them walk it out of the middle and, and goal and, and respond within sort of 90 seconds. It, it seemed to happen four or five times. Look, we're very exposed. We can be very exposed by strong midfield. Um, it's like we discussed in the preview, Macca. They, they're not used to roving to a winning ruck. Um, and so they're, play, they're going for the same ball as we are and they've got the, you know, they know how we're going to do and we know how they're going to do, but they've got better midfield set up than us. So Yeah. They've got better midfielders. Like, our midfielders are good individually, but they're still yet to really click as a team, I feel. Um, yeah, and I don't know if that's system or what, but, yeah. Mm. It was the area where we were outclassed on paper, and I think we just saw yep. it in the game. Absolutely. This was the one game... I mean, it was bound to happen at some point where we're not going to be able to sort of rove to uh, to losing ruck. And uh, and Trengo yep. probably didn't have his best day. I really liked his follow-up work, Stu. I thought he, he really put a lot of pressure on, laid a lot of tackles and, yeah. and and tried to keep the ball going in our direction. But in terms of um, getting his hands on the ball, and yeah, he just wasn't able to do that at all. And uh, and as we said, you know, the, the Dogs midfield just had a field day coming out of the midfield. I think Bontempelli had 10 clearances. Uh, Liberatore had a, had a dozen or 13 as well. Um, Wallace was up there as well. So, you know, they're, they're sort of inside mids. Um, you know, we're just able to clear the bowl um, with, with a lot of ease. And I thought when uh, Dalhouse went down early, I thought, you know, this is this is a great thing for us. You know, he's a really good player. He has a lot of pace, really good inside as well. But... Um, mm. Yeah, you know, they were still able to clear the ball 
pretty easily, which was a, a bit disappointing. Yeah, and I guess the other thing you take out of the game, like before the game, there's a lot of melt again about panel being selected as one of the umpires, but the umpiring was pretty pro-port on the whole. I oh, yeah, we, we I didn't think there were any day. magic apps. <laughs> we, 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 yeah. got a good, we got a good run with it. That's, yeah. That's for sure. I think the crowd were pretty keen to uh, yeah. panel a bit of a crap. You know, I think he gave a, a dubious decision to the dogs in the first sort of two minutes and uh, the crowd sort of razzed him up a little bit. But after that, um, I'm not even sure he gave another free kick to the dogs, to be honest. Maybe not. Mm. No, as I, as I was saying before, um, I thought we had a lot of our key midfielders down for the day. Um, Wines had really good figures. I think he had something like um, 25 disposals and four clearances, uh, 17 contested possessions, kicked a goal as well, eight tackles. Um, but his disposal efficiency was really bad. Um, just made poor decisions and um, you know just missed handballs and, and, and silly things like that. And Robbie Gray was really similar. He had a Massive day on this on the stat sheet. Eight clearances, twenty contested possessions, kicked a goal, uh, thirty-two touches. But I think that's that was just about Robbie's worst game since he's become elite, in my opinion. Mm, okay, I, yeah, I don't know. That might be a big call, but it's a big call right about I, those ones. I, yeah, I was looking at the voting thread after the game, and pretty much everyone thought Robbie was best on ground. So I think I'm certainly on my own in that opinion, but. I just found myself sort of going, oh, come on, Robbie, yeah, about 15 times throughout the day, and usually yeah. you don't do that at all. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I guess he had to have one of those someday. Like, every team knows that he's the player you've got to shut down if you want to be confident of beating Port, so, you yeah. know. Mm. I guess one that uh, went against the flow of that was Brad Ebert, who I thought had an absolute monster game, and one of his best games for the year or even the last couple of years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, look, Ebert, the one thing you can't fault him on is inde- his endeavour. You can fault him on his awareness and his disposal, but as far as his effort uh, and his desperation, I mean, it's always right up there. And it was one of the games where he sort of had the opportunity to show that off. And, you know, he was he was ready for that tempo game, um, which is great. Uh, it's probably one of the reasons why you'd be slightly more reluctant to trade him than other players on that uh, secondary midfield section. Um because you know that in the big games he can at least get heavily involved um, when you're under the pump, like uh, like I suppose a Roger James and a St Kilda prelim. You know, do, yeah. I think that Ebert's that sort of player that I'd like to have on the side because you know that when everyone is under the pump, he's the guy that's going to just go harder. Um, yeah, but he's still if he had if he had better awareness and better disposal, he would be elite. Yeah. Well, he took a number of really strong grabs um, in contests. I think he had four contest marks for the day Mm. and uh, really took the game on. And I thought his disposal was a little bit better than normal, Um, although the kick at the start of the last quarter uh, pretty much started the rot and uh, wasn't good enough. When when you're switching the play across the ground, you can't miss your target by 15 metres. It just put us under a lot of pressure. and. Instead of us running the ball down the opposite wing, it ended up being uh, out of bounds um, in the defensive uh, 50, and I think they pretty much gold straight from that. So it uh, wasn't a good error, that one. Yeah, anytime you're kicking backwards, you've got to be a little bit concerned. I don't I don't like it when we do it. Um, and I know that uh, Jasper Pittard, the one thing you can say about him is he almost, I think he might have kicked backwards once in his career. Um, you know, uh, you want to avoid it pretty much at all costs, I think, as much as the switch. Like, if it's one of those sort of very slightly backward ones sideways when you're doing a switch, okay, but any time you're going more than 
more than that backwards. It's just yeah. never do it. Never do it. Oh, th- this was a switch. He was switching across ground, but he just missed yeah. his target. It was just a, a miss kick. It was just a shank. And uh, yeah. yeah, the uh, I can't remember who it was. I think it was Austin who was who he was trying to kick to, and he was just um, set upon pretty much straight away and yeah. couldn't get the handball off. So. Not a good effort, that one. But um, Jasper Pidal, I thought he played really well as well. Um, yep. Maybe a couple of mistakes, but, um, you know, as we said, really took the game on and uh, and was hitting those targets. Yeah, look, I've got a lot of time for Jasper. Um, just quickly back on the Ebert thing. I mean, particularly when you're going to switch the play, you've got to make sure that your kicks to rookies are spot on. So that yep. just that as well. But, yeah, Jasper Pidal, look, I was pleased with this game. He should be absolutely on track for all Australian position. Like, it shouldn't be like, oh, gee, I don't know if I can squeeze him in. Like, he is first first selection, surely, for his position. Oh, he's got to be an absolute lock at yeah. this stage. Yeah. Oh, he's getting more of the ball than anyone else, rebounding more than anyone else. He's, yep. you know, barely getting beaten one-on-one. He's mm. uh, He's been an absolute monster and by far the best defender of the season. Yeah, yeah. Like, when you think about what it used to take to be an all-Australian uh, halfback flanker when Adam Huskis got it, um, Jasper Pittard, I'd rate about three leagues ahead of Adam Huskis when he got it, and yeah. most of the halfback flankers that get named every year. Uh, yeah. My job out. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> like, that's the thing about Pittard is that, yeah, he's playing a, a role where he's getting a lot of the ball, and it's very easy to think, oh, well, this other backman or another club's getting a lot of the ball too, but the quality isn't there. And if the judges never watch Port Adelaide games, they're not going to know that, which is the most concerning part. No, he's doing what Easton Wood did last year. He's he's definitely had his breakout year this year and been a lot mm. more consistent. He he had a good sort of first seven or eight games last year and then tapered off a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but this year he doesn't look like slowing down at all, and uh, he'd be a mile in front in the best and fairest. And um, oh yeah, you would as we just said, you'd have to think he's an absolute lock for all Australian. If he's not, then the question should be asked. Yeah, I mean, as much as Ollie Wines has sort of got the aura of being the golden child, I mean, if Boak were to retire. It'd be Pittard that'd be the next captain, I would have thought. Yeah. Mm. Wow, that's a big call. That's a very yeah. big call. Well, I don't think it is because he's the one that knows the game plan best. Um, Rick would be he... in tears of joy if that happened. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, yeah, I suppose he would. But I, look, I think he's the guy that you can say that he definitely leads on the field, that he doesn't have those ticks to his game that, you know, like Robbie Gray's still got ticks to his game. Every. Hamish Hartlett's got a billion ticks in his game, but uh, that are just that little those little little learned things from when we were super shit. But Pittard doesn't have any of them, and that's exactly the sort of player you want as your captain is the guy that can not go back to the remnants of Primus era, Choco era shitness when things go get tough. Because mm. he doesn't, he doesn't do that. He just keeps going the same way he plays. No, that's a good call. I mm. look forward to that happening in a, in a couple of years' time. Jasper, the captain. Mm. Should be. Captain Hyphen. I like it. <laughs> How did you see Young E's performance on the weekend? Yeah, yeah. Good under pressure. Um, mm. We talked about how he might suffer a bit with a little bit more accountability, but I think he still played a pretty decent game, honestly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I thought uh, a, a very mature performance by mm. Young E. As, as we said in the preview, you know, he's he's been able to find space all year like he's basically not had an opponent for <laughs> since he came into the side in round two but we were expecting him to get a lot more attention um, and he did he was set upon pretty much as soon as he got the ball just about every time he got it but his ability to keep his arms free as we know over the last few years has been one of the real sort of key points of his game 
and it really came to the fore again on the weekend. I thought he was absolutely fantastic at getting his arms free and being able to dish off an effective disposal, uh, despite being tackled or under a lot of pressure. And to still end up with 22 touches and, and a couple of goals, um, absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Sorry, Mako, I've just been distracted because I've got the TV on you mute in the background, and I'm just looking at terrible backyards on house rules. It's really awful. <laughs> <laughs> really. I'm actually watching the same thing. So there you go. Aren't they awful? <laughs> not a fan. Sorry. Fair enough. If it's not going to be, if it's not going to be a beautiful garden, just fill it with tomatoes and potatoes and stuff. <laughs> Fair enough. Yep. Sorry. So yeah, youngie. <laughs> yeah, youngie. Absolutely. Um, look, he's he's learned his contract. He's fine. Move on. Who's next? Honeychurch. Well, you should mention Honeychurch because he did come in last week and we did target him. I think as the. The, the spud who would tear us apart. And he was bloody devastating against us, wasn't he? He was, he was yeah. 20-odd uh, touches and a, and a goal and you know kicked um, the goal that put them in front in the last yeah. quarter. And, yeah, he was just everywhere. And you know, he's a really good little player, Honeychurch. Mm. He's probably just on the fringe. And yeah. you never know, he might um, be one of those players that ends up going elsewhere and, and becoming a really good player for someone else um, as a first 22 player. But, uh, yeah, yeah that, that was pretty much his best game of AFL footy, I think. Yeah, look, it would be, and it, yeah, like I think you're right there. I think he's the sort of player that um, a team like Sydney Swans would look at and go, "Oh yeah, we can make that work." And then they suddenly become, you know, the next uh, Kennedy Junior or yeah. uh, whatever else, <laughs> where else, uh, Ted Richards or McGlynn. Yeah, McGlynn, exactly. You know, one of these guys that just sort of come through, and you see them at the original club, and think, "Yeah, it's a bit of talent there," but I don't know. And then it just becomes something else. He could be one of those for sure. Yeah. Uh, how did you see Logan Austin's game? Yeah, he's a rookie backman. So uh, the same things that saw Paul Stewart exposed, I don't think he was exposed in the same way. Um, I think he was very accountable. Um, yeah, for the, I, 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 I Yeah, I, I was pretty happy with this game. You'd, ideally, you know, if you're looking forward for four years in the future again, he'll be a lot better and you want him to be a lot better than he was. But for a guy in his, what, his second game or third game, yeah, he's fine. No problem. No comment. Good game. Well done. You're in the team next week. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Um, Jack Redpath had a bit of a day out. He um, mm. kicked three goals in the first quarter, I think it was. Ended up with four. And, um, you know, we just really struggled to sort of uh, keep him under wraps. Look, he's a really tough sort of player um, to to match up on. Like, he's sort of, he's sort of for them, like, Posedley was for, um, Posedley was for Geelong, in that you sort of think, yeah, he's pretty good, but he's just so consistent. And he's just he does the really basic game really well. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I can't a, explain he's it a better. Poor man's Josh Kennedy, I think. Um, I in guess. that regard, is that he's tall, he's wide, he's hard to get around. You can't really sort of outmark him. It's hard to get a punch in. Yeah. Um, and yeah, Paul Stewart had a had a pretty rough time for most of the day on him. Yeah, um, and I think Paul played. You know, I think Paul played close to the maximum of his potential in that game. I'm not going to say it was not an effort thing or anything like that. I just think that it wasn't a good matchup for him, and he's got a ceiling, and he was near it. That's why he struggled. Our captain, Travis Boak. Um, some mixed reports about him on the <sighs> forum. Some people thought he was terrible. Others thought he was really good. Uh, a lot of people uh, blaming him for his, uh, his missed shot at goal in the last quarter, he, which he seemed to rush, and... Probably didn't have the right sort of kick strategy for that sort of uh, that sort of shot on goal. Um, how did you see his game? 
uh, like Boki's games all through this year, in that he does he's still around the mark and he still keeps going okay, but then he does a few things that you just go, wow, what? Um, and it's like it's really hard to describe this one because it feels like it's got to the point. Like, I suppose it's a bit like Dom Cassisi. It feels like he's got to the point where the captaincy is a burden um, mm. as opposed to something that's making him a better player. Like I'm not, I'm not convinced it's, I don't, I'm not convinced he's getting a lift from the captaincy now. And ideally you want your captain to be someone that lifts with the captaincy. Like there is certainly plenty of players across the league that do that. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't think, I, I think Boke's not at that point anymore. Um, I mean, it's hard to surrender a captaincy, but we've seen a couple of really excellent players do it. Um, so you'd hope that Boke would be, if he's, if he's, if it's, it really is the struggle that it really seems to be for him to be the captain and be the one expected to have the captain's game and have that little bit of extra pressure on top of always being heavily uh, accounted for every game, then maybe we need to look at something else in that regard. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I thought he was actually pretty decent to be oh, honest. Yeah. And again, if he kicked that goal, no one would be talking about him having a bad game, I think. I thought he was pretty good. Again, he was under a lot of pressure. And, you know, I guess that's um, something that he's had to deal with all year is that he just hasn't been able to find any sort of space and, and have a bit of a run and, and deliver the ball effectively in that fashion. He's always having to sort of rush his disposals a little bit. And I'm not sure if that's a fitness thing or a pace thing or whether he's just getting a, a lot more sort of closer attention um, this year than he did in previous years. I'm not too sure, but uh, I think it's a, a noted change in his game style. I just feel like that over seasons 2015 and 2016, we've seen Travis Cloak go from being a consistent midfielder that's occasionally explosive and damaging to being a grinder. Um, he's lost that, not flair, flair's not the right word because it sounds too la-di-da, but he's, he's lost that impact, that, that danger to his game that he used to have. Yeah. Um, and that's that. Oh, we know how good really he was painful. in thirteen and fourteen, and oh, yeah. you know, he his two thousand and thirteen was just about the best captain season I've seen from a Port Adelaide player in my lifetime. He was absolutely fantastic, and he, he did follow that through in two thousand and fourteen as well. And I don't know, maybe as you say, maybe it is the captaincy that which is uh, maybe getting him getting on his mind a little bit and, and causing him not to uh, to play to his full potential. Well, yeah, I mean, it wouldn't be the only thing. If he's just under a lot of pressure generally, that's that's hard. But it's could be an, it could be a multiplier, and that could be something that you could potentially relieve him of. Yeah, it's one of the thing. It's one of the things that can be made easier for a footballer because there's a lot that can't. Yeah. Um, how did you see Charlie Dixon's game, and are we using him effectively? We're using him too much. Um, he is good at what he... Look, if we're going to keep kicking to him, then he needs to start leading or we need to have other targets and we need to use him as a decoy more than we do because we don't use him as a decoy enough. Um, he draws defenders constantly. Um, and that's great because we got to the point where we're really predictable and we're going to kick oh, to him a lot absolutely. of the time, right? Like, we're hugely predictable. Yeah. Um, and that's not necessarily a problem. Like we were hugely predictable with Warren Treadway too, but he just happened to be good enough to deal with it. Um, but Dixon, he's not at that point. Uh, he might never get to that point, but we're certainly at the point where we need to be using our predictability as a that's something we can turn on the opposition and subvert expectations, yeah. uh, as we did last week. You know, 
It's a bit of a chicken or the egg, I think, with Charlie Dixon at the moment. And look, mm. I mean, pretty much every time he marks the ball, it's a contested mark. Yep. And A, that's because he's not leading. But B, yep. it's also because we're just hoofing the ball as far as we can on top of his head. So he's not able to lead to the ball as well. So, yep. I don't know. We, we just lack composure going forward. And that was a huge issue in this game, I think. Um, some of those sort of basic skill errors and, and decision-making errors really cost us the game, in my opinion. And We've just got no system to our forward entries except for kick it as long as and as high as possible and hope that Charlie marks it. Yeah, I think that we talked either last week or the week before about how coast-to-coast goals, for example, um, when you're playing well, there's less kicks involved, less disposals involved, and so that's probably what they train for. Mm. But when Charlie Dixon's already led up to the 50 and the ball's not near where he is, then that limits his options and limits the kicker's options as well when they finally get in the area. Like if you have what Russ Lieber handball likes to call the UFHs, the yep. useless effing handballs that slow that just make you slow through the midfield, then there's not a lot he can do at that point when he's already yep. let up the field. Yeah. Um, it could be that we have to tell him, hey, hang back in the goal square more and then wait for a clear burst before you start leading. But can you do that? You know? No, I just don't think we're using him at all effectively. I mean, you look yeah. at him play and he's super quick when he gets going. He's, oh, he is. He's, a, he's really quick on the lead, but I can't remember him taking a mark on the lead inside 50 at all this year. I literally can't think of one. Yeah, well, I mean, that's timing and system. Um, and not just as forwards, but as a whole team, like how quickly you get the ball down the field. Um, if you've got a lot of interruptions on the way... I don't know, maybe it's a deficiency. He's not good at reading the play coming towards him all that well and he, he's, until the ball's in the air directly coming towards him. Like maybe he's just not good at reading the play unfolding. I don't know. It yeah. could be a thing. Um, particularly at a new team, um, that's always going to be an issue for any player, um, no matter how good they are, is that they've got to learn how their team delivers. And we've been very inconsistent in that because sometimes we've been quite good and then a lot of the time we've been quite ordinary. Um, yeah. If we're always bad, he'd adjust. And if we're always good, he'd adjust. But having both is hard. Absolutely. Um, how did you see Wingard and Westhoff and uh, I guess Hartlett as well? They're all a little bit down on the day. Westhoff and Hartlett, I if 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 they came out tomorrow and said I want to be traded, I'd be like I'd just have a huge sigh of relief. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like yeah. if, if, I, if, I know the feeling. Yeah, like it's not like I'm saying we've got to get rid of them, we've got to get rid of them, they're useless players. But, but if they took that decision out of our hands so we didn't have to make that tough call, like Butcher a couple of years ago, when we were like, I don't know, do we keep him, do we let him go? Uh, they're both in that exact same boat. If they say, I want to retire, I want to be traded, I'm just like, oh, thank God. Let's start over that part and do something different, please. But I don't think we're going to trade them. And I also don't think they're going to be the players that we have hoped they would be on a consistent basis uh, throughout their entire careers. Um, we have... Well, Westhoff's like 30 now, so that's not going to happen. But, no, um, I mean, no. Hartlett, there's still time, I guess. But, oh, is there? Um, oh, any... He's had he's a couple had, of... He's had one first-rate season. He's had one yeah. first-rate season where he came close to the potential that we expected of him, and that was last year. Yeah. See, I would have said um, 2014, it was probably better. Nah. No, I don't agree. Hmm. Hmm. Fair enough. That's all right. Well, that's all I've got. Yeah, all right. Do you have anything else? Um, Jake Need, he was good, all right? Needy was good. <laughs> Needy was really good. And yeah, again, his pressure was fantastic. Slotted a couple of goals and 
you know, he's uh, he's in some really consistent form right mm. now, which is uh, mm. which is great to see. It's probably the first time in his career that he's uh, actually been this consistent. Yeah, yeah. Like it, he's more than anyone. I mean, oh, sorry, less than Jasper Pittard, but he more than anyone except Jasper Pittard has shown a real commitment to the game plan that we're trying to play. So yeah. it's good that it's paying dividends for him. Yep. But Jasper's doing it more. <laughs> yes. No doubt. Well, look, let's uh, have a quick chat about the Magpies. They faced yeah. us third in the SANFL and once again came away with a loss at uh, Alberton Oval, which is really disappointing. Mm. Uh, they lost by 22 points, 9 goals 10 to 12 goals 14. Uh, Luke Reynolds was the only multiple goal scorer with uh, two goals. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess Sturdy used to not having playing at a proper home ground, so playing away at Alberton is probably not so as intimidating as it could otherwise be. Um, but I don't know, how did we go? Any good news from an AFL perspective? Oh, maybe a little bit. I mean, um, we were seven goals to two down at quarter time, so that was pretty much the game there. We we were able to peg it back a little bit um, in the last quarter, but uh, didn't look like winning the game at any stage. Um, Jimmy Tulperson and Brendan Archie were probably the two best. Uh, Tulpus had 24 touches, a few clearances, uh, kicked a goal as well. Um, Archie had 23 touches, nine clearances, uh, six tackles and a goal. Okay. So he's uh, once again he's put in some big numbers there. Um, he's just got to find a way to do that at AFL level. Yeah, um, was there a lot of space given to those guys in particular in that game, or was it a fairly physical contest? It was a fairly physical contest, to be honest. Okay, well that's good. Carl mm. mm. Amon also had a, a decent showing. He had twenty-two touches, six clearances, five inside fifties, and uh, I guess most importantly, seven tackles, which um, would have pleased the coaches, I think. Yeah, well, I mean, he has. He's in that same category exactly as Jared Pollock. Um, and admittedly, Jared Pollock has shown us more at his top level than Amon has at this point in his career. Um, yep. But he's also a couple of years older. And I think that Amon's now at the same point. Jared Pollock was languishing at the Brisbane Lions reserves or just not playing well. Um, yep. But I think they've got very similar problems in their game style. And they have. put him in the same training unit, absolutely. Whatever one is doing, the other one should be doing too because they've got the exact same deficiencies and strengths, I think. Yeah. Mm. No, we know that he can do it. He just doesn't do it often enough. So um, that's his issue. And, you know, he is young. Um, He's got the talent to succeed at AFL level, in my opinion. He's just got to have that consistency, which which should come in time, I think. Uh, Billy Frampton was another one that had a pretty good game. Oh, good. Uh, which is good to see him um, you know, performing really well. He had 12 touches, 6 marks, uh, 29 hit-outs, uh, and kicked a goal as well. So so decent figures there for um, our only other Ruckman. <laughs> the Ruckman? <laughs> or the Ruckman, yeah. Well, he is right now, isn't he? He's yeah, the Ruckman. He's the yeah. Ruckman. Yeah. The, the Ruckman in exile. Mm. <laughs> no, that's really, that's got to be right. Up. But anyway, he's the number two Ruckman, number one on the list currently. Uh, do you think so you might get a game this year? What changes do you think might be made this week? The Magpies? Oh, for the power side that might affect the Magpies? Um, you, yeah, who's going to come into the side, do you think? Do you think we'll make many changes or keep it pretty uh, pretty steady, maybe? Uh, it's probably going to cause melts, but I wouldn't be surprised if they, like, for the reasons I just sort of explained, that they decided A1 was in okay form and Pollock didn't play well and they might do a swap there. Um Oh, I don't know. I mean, it's Frio. It's Frio, right? So maybe you yeah. don't make a change. Maybe you just say, eh, we'll just go with what we got. 
so there might be no change. Yeah, I'd be happy if we went in unchanged. Um, I don't yeah. think we need to do a change. Um, no. The only one I might think about doing is maybe Cleary for Stewart, just to uh, give Cleary yeah, another yeah. taste. And you know, we've yeah. got to find out if he's capable of playing AFL footy, really. Yeah, I'm not sure that they will do that because I think that we talked about how Stewart's been playing well when he's not been exposed, and I don't think Frau will expose him, so it'll be a sort of game he'll play really well. Yeah. Um, and having uh, Austin and Clurie as our key defenders in the game might be a bit, might be just a bridge too far. It'd be interesting to, to uh, it'd be interesting well, to see it. It's also but... probably the game you want to do it in, really. Um, yeah. Pavlich is out of the side, and when he's in, he's in bad form. Taberner is just okay. Um, Aitness, you know, he's still young. He's only playing his third or fourth game. You know, if, if you're going to play an undermanned or inexperienced defence, it's probably this is the time to do it. I understand what you're saying, but if you'd want to talk about the time to do it, that's round 23 against the Gold Coast Suns. Um, when Austin's got 10 games under his belt and Clurie's got four or five, and that's mm. when you say that's our two most experienced key defenders in the side. Like, that's, for me, like, that's more... I think Austin's still a little bit too green and Clurie's had no AFL football for too long to be... I think that's just, as a combined risk, I think it's just a little bit too much. Yeah. Um yeah. No, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, because we've got what, a game against a game against Melbourne in Adelaide. I'd be quite happy for a ten-game Logan Austin and for another and a, and a Cleary that's played another four or five to go up against Hogan and Watts. I think that'd be an interesting matchup, particularly at that time yep. of year. Um, you know, Brisbane Lions in Brisbane in round nineteen. That's another game against a side that you could say we could do that. Um, we've got lots of opportunities. I don't think we need to pull the trigger on that right now, personally. No, that's a good call. Mm. I like that. Well, I reckon that's just about it for us uh, for the season. Yeah. Oh, gosh. What a downer. What a downer. Disappointing. I know. We're so close, yet so far again. I think that's something like, uh, you know, we've only won five out of our last 21 close games or something in the last three or four years. So oh. it's, it's certainly becoming a thing, which is uh, disappointing. Why do people look up stats like that? <laughs> like, it's very depressing. <laughs> like, but, I mean, just the mindset. Like, What makes a Port fan think, hey, I wonder how many close games we have lost exactly in the last three years? <laughs> like, what, what sort of... I mean, I'm a, pretty, I'm a pretty depraved Port fan in some of the things I think, but going through the records and looking through all these horrible losses you've had and going, hmm, tick, tick. Yes, that was a terrible game. Tick, 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 and counting them all up. That just seems the work of a complete madman. Uh, I do agree. I do agree. Oh, dear. <laughs> well, thanks for coming on again, Portia. Thank you, Macca. Thank you. And I guess you'll be on on Thursday. On Thursday is Mac is Rick back soon, or I what's going Rick on? I think Rick is back on Thursday. Oh, so I you might gonna... be having the uh, the night off, and uh, uh-huh. we get to talk about um, how good his trip was. You riffer, perfect. All right. Well, in that case, I'll speak to you in what two podcast time. Yep. No worries. It's been fun filling on these reviews in the interim. So thank you, Macca, for the opportunity. And thank you, listeners, that have been quite complimentary about a couple of them. But probably not this one. (laughs) 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 All right. That's it. Well done. Excellent. Go, Port Adelaide. Four towards a teammate. Ritz hand pass, though. Slapped. And now Needs away. Everything falling into place. Need the beneficiary running down towards the 50. Lines up. Bacon goal square. How about this? This is breathtaking.